Hey everyone, uh, we are here on the next episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino, and I am in San Francisco sitting down with Nick Muncy, not only a well-respected pastry chef, but insane thought process to create his own food magazine called Toothache. So uh, welcome. It's nice to have you. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. So Nick, let, let's start with your past first and then kind of move, you know, gradually into the to the present. Um where where are you originally from? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm from Seal Beach, California, uh, Orange County. Uh, grew up there, went to high school there, went to culinary school there. Uh, kind of started my career there. I worked uh, at the Fairmont Hotel while in school, so the Fairmont in Newport Beach, not the famous one here. Um, and yeah, so kind of did the Orange County kid thing, which was great. And then uh, once I graduated culinary school. Uh, went up to Hillsburg and worked at Cyrus. Um, With Doug Keen. Yeah. And uh, I was savory that whole time. Uh, that was before thinking about pastry. I had no desire to be in pastry. Um, and the pastry chef at Cyrus at the time, uh, Royce Fortzapel, was kind of uh, just like this awesome talent of a pastry chef. And so uh, I thought it'd be good to kind of learn pastry so that if I had a restaurant, I wouldn't have to have a pastry chef because I was still in that savory cook mentality of like, this looks easy. I'm just going to learn this good guy to learn from. And a typical, typical ignorant chef. Like <laughs> I'll take that credit too. It's like, yeah, I could do that. Like, it's so calm. Like, man, that's great. Like <laughs> no one's yelling at you. Oh man, that's, I can do that. I'm, I'm getting tired of getting yelled at. I should go over there. It looks, looks like a good time. And then, and then the um, math kicks in. <laughs> Yeah, luckily, science of it all. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, luckily that all kind of clicked for me pretty quickly, and uh, ended up being just a much better fit for my personality. Like, I'm not, I'm not good at like uh, dealing with a lot of things coming at me at once, and so in the pastry kitchen, you can kind of like plan everything really far in advance and get everything kind of scheduled out. And I can do a lot in a small amount of time, but it's like very thought out and it's not like a now do this, now do that kind of like quick fire mentality. So for me in, uh, in the pastry kitchen, that kind of organization and that kind of structure and everything always working when you wait it out, right. And you follow the directions and it always working and it never being like, uh, changing like on daily variables uh was something that i enjoyed and kind of took to so uh yeah kind of stayed in pastry after that um that's amazing so it's like i tell a lot of folks you know pastry is science you know it's forecasting it's scheduling it's structure it's organization everybody's like what do you mean it's like well you you mistakenly weigh out your sugar or your yeast or your flour to, to wet, you know, your wet to dry ratio, everything's off. Yeah. Everything. Because once it's cooked or baked, it's done. You can't put a smidge here. There's no like pinch of extra salt or a pinch of this. It's done. Yeah. I mean, yesterday, uh, I had a new cook weighing out a bread recipe. Uh, he weighed something wrong. And within the first 30 seconds of it mixing, I'm like, this is wrong. I can tell just from the way it's coming together, this is wrong. It looks way too dry. Like something's off here. And he's like, just add a little bit of water. And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) Like we're throwing it away and we're starting over. Like 
I don't know what you did wrong, and so we're not going to wing it because this is our bread. So, no, we start over. I would rather throw away a batch of dough and it be right than, like, wing it and then just have shitty bread for that night. It's amazing that that, that instant thought process, just add a little. <laughs> a little bit will fix just it. Just get it to come together, and you're like, no. No, it, it just doesn't work like that. Flavor changes. So you're at Cyrus, and you transfer into the pastry department. Mm -hmm. You're really digging it. And then what happens from there? Uh, so I went down to uh, L.A., uh, worked at the Bazaar for a little bit uh, with Jose Andreas. Uh, not that he was really there that much, especially in pastry. But Who was your pastry chef there? Uh, Waylon Lucas. Oh, I know Waylon. She's great. Yeah. Super talented. Yeah, it was uh, it was great to kind of like work in a hotel again. I didn't uh, enjoy the intensity because it was very slow compared to being at Cyrus where you're like running and like it's very, uh, I don't know, intense. And so being back in a hotel is kind of like this eight hour shift and you have like the employee cafeteria and like they've kind of structured it for like cooks to be like all right cooks and they're, you know, doing well there. So the prep load and like the workload wasn't very challenging for me. So I didn't, I didn't enjoy that, but it was nice to kind of like be in a big place. I had a bunch of friends that from culinary school that were working there. So it was like, it was more of like a, a fun time, but it was like learning those kind of molecular gastronomy techniques that were like still kind of cool at that point. They were kind of already going out of fashion a little bit, but um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that was a, and when I think of going to the bazaar in LA, I think of that beautiful pastry spread you guys had set up. Yeah. And no one goes in there. It's like the most beautiful. Uh, it's like a Parisian, like a Parisian, yeah. like a Parisian shop. Like right in the middle of the, in the like, hotel. It's beautiful. You've got like 30 different candies and cakes and things that you're making and you're picking up the desserts. But, you know, I, my first week there, I would start freaking out because like, we have 500 on the books. And you're like, oh, my God, we're going to be so busy. And then you'd sell like 30 desserts. And you're like, oh, OK, no one needs dessert here. Or, you know, maybe well, it's just you, L.A. Or if you were in L.A. And it's an a la carte restaurant. I was used to yeah. kind of that tasting menu. Everyone gets dessert. So, um that was a little bit of a change, but it, it was fun. I had a lot of fun there. Um, I made some really good friends there. Um, and then after that, uh, I answered like a Craigslist ad for a pastry chef job or pastry cook job at Saison uh, with pastry chef Matt Tinder. And uh, I had no idea what Saison was. I, I'm not very uh, knowledgeable about like who's up and coming. And, and at that time, they were kind of just becoming well known and um yeah went and started working there and it was it was great uh and Matt Tinder kind of became my biggest uh mentor kind of in my pastry career god I miss that guy yeah he's doing great things up in uh up in Bremerton he is it's beautiful I, I love him to death he's one of the most fun fun and talented and I would say the biggest hidden gem of a pastry chef I think yeah I yeah He's a very hard person to work for, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I I learned so much from him, and we we were working together full time and living together, so it was <laughs> uh, nonstop me and him for a couple few years. Oh my and god, I can't imagine. People that know him is like he's a very intense uh, guy, so. 
uh, it was it was a lot of learning in a short amount of time and a lot of drinking and a lot of uh, debauchery in a short amount of time. Uh, our, our apartment was pretty gross looking. There was a lot of empty beer bottles. Uh, <laughs> I can just imagine. I've known him for so long and just can think about it. Just my head spins. Oh, dear Lord. So did you then go from Saison with him to Qua? Yeah. So he went to Qua. Uh, he got hired to be the pastry chef. Um, I, I helped out at Saison for like a tiny bit in between the transition and then uh, left to go, go to Qua. And I stayed there for almost six years. Uh, when, when Matt Tinder left, I became the pastry chef and I was the pastry chef there for four of those. And I was there uh, at, for that transition when Matt Kirkley kind of took over uh, and did a year with Matt Kirkley at Qua. So um, that was a whole challenge in itself, just learning how to make desserts for Daniel Patterson and put food up to someone that uh, when I was in culinary school, I remember getting his art culinary like issue and sending him my resume and not hearing anything back. But I mean, it was uh, it was crazy to be around someone like that. That's that I had looked up to and then being like, I have to present dishes to you now and go through stuff and actually create stuff that you're going to approve to go onto a menu. Do you think that that's changed? I mean, you're, you know, we, we've, we live in a very unique city where there's so many talent, so many talented chefs and so many things going on. I mean, and you know, now you're at, you're the pastry chef over for Michael Mina. Yep. Okay. Um, and I mean, you're, you're seeing changes every day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when I was at Qua, because it was my first pastry chef job and I was very young, I was like 25 at the time. Um, I didn't have the confidence to be like, or the talent or skills or knowledge to be putting together, uh, thoughtful, delicious dishes. It was kind of like these half baked ideas mixed with like, still trying to figure out like, how to make it like you don't really learn as a cook how to create a dish that's like a whole nother skill is like how to balance everything in a plate how to how does something eat and all that so that was kind of a big learning curve there so i relied a lot on uh on daniel and on the uh, chef de cuisine andrew miller uh, tasting things through throughout like i would take weeks to come up with a new dish and it would be like each day tasting components tasting things together taking their input trying to uh, rely on them to kind of develop that skill. And then now at Michael Mina, uh, I feel a lot more confident in, you know, being able to just put dishes on and I, I'm not really having to get them passed by anyone. They kind of give me free reign to do the desserts. And, uh, that's a good thing. And, and like kind of a bad thing. Like I like getting the input from other people. And so, uh, I taste, I still have the chef, uh, at the restaurant Raj, he tastes all the desserts before I put them on and whether he has feedback or not, like I just want as many people tasting it before I put it on because I don't know, it's all, it's like a, it's a check for me to be like, all right, what I think is good, they say is good too. So we got a couple people agreeing that this is a delicious dish, but, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's for me, I, I I think as many minds as I can get around something, especially towards the end of finishing a dish, like the better. Um, 
See, that's, a, I think, a really important thing because I think nowadays we hear a lot of people say, well, this is, I created this, it's perfect. Yeah. But it, we all need checks and balances in everything we do, right? Yeah. And I think if you can't be humble enough to, to hear feedback from four other people, your peers, you know, and, and you know, it really changes the dynamic. It's like, what is the guest going to see? How does it eat? Is it the right plate? Is there enough crunch to, you know, to soft? Is there enough acidity to richness? And, and I think people get, they let their ego get in the way before they want the guests to have the best experience. Yeah. I mean, as many people as you can get to try the dish that work in the industry, like getting the GM to taste the dish, getting, you know, servers, getting people to taste something before it goes to the guests. Cause then you're like, I know I, I like it, but then you start seeing Yelp reviews and you're like, all right, is it, is it off? Like, I, I don't know now. Like at least you can be like, nah, screw them. Like we've all tasted it. It's delicious. <laughs> like they're, they're wrong. <laughs> it's not too sour. Screw you. Well, I think opinion is a really difficult thing for a lot of people to, to understand. And as a young cook, you know, it's like, oh my God, they want that well done. That's their personal preference. They're going to ask for that because that's what they like. So cook it that way. And then they're happy. Yeah. The ultimate goal is to make somebody smile when they leave the restaurant. Right? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been making, we have this, uh, that conference in town right now. Uh, and I've had to make so many fruit plates in the past week. But, you know, I, the cooks kind of laugh because I'm like doing like hotel style, like fanned out fruit and everything. I'm like, this is what they want. They want a fruit plate. Like make it I'm, great. Yeah. I, I'm going to put as many delicious fruit that we have in the house. It's winter time. So they're getting a lot of citrus, but you know, um, yeah, if a guest wants it, I'll do it. Like I, I'm all, I'm all for pleasing the guests, but I don't know. There are also some unreasonable people out there. I feel yeah. like Yelp is either it's the it's both extremes. You either get people that are extremely upset or like extremely happy. You don't get the average review like that person doesn't review the restaurant. I feel like just like the person that had the regular experience. It's either they came into the restaurant with uh, already on a bad side of the bed kind of thing. And there something happened maybe in their personal life. I don't know. Or maybe they just really hated your food and then they write the review or it's someone that's just like mind blown. So you get these like two crazy spectrums. So you're like, we're doing amazing or we're doing horrible. Like, <laughs> or it's like, everything was wonderful. It was hard to find parking three stars. And you're like, what? Like <laughs> we can't, we can't do, we can't help with the parking. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, it's always going to be that. I think it's, um, because when people have a good time, I think they feel like, you know, there, there's the, like, I agree with what you're saying. There's that my mind is blown. I've never had anything like this. It's a totally whole new world for them. Boom. They just can't stop gushing. And then there's people who have a great time that they feel like they don't need to write about it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what the difference is maybe. Yeah. Or maybe they don't want to tell everybody cause they want to keep coming back. Yeah. They don't want to blow it up. <laughs> right. It's like, who knows, who knows what it is, yeah. but it makes it pretty interesting. So yeah. let's talk about how you decided. All right. I'm going to decide I want to publish a magazine. Like your yeah. life isn't busy enough. You're a pastry chef at Qua, right? Yeah. And you said, you know what? I'm going to bust out a new magazine called Toothache. And I remember when it all started because I heard, I heard the rumblings and then I started seeing these images and it was like, holy crap. Like we all know the, the, 
let's be honest, the publishing industry, we hear about it on a daily basis is vanishing. Yeah. Right. But this is a magazine made by a chef, yeah. which has not a really, I mean, we did have uh, Lucky Peach, which yeah. was a chef driven magazine. And, and, you know, you're really digging deep. And I think you've you travel for it. You're going all over the globe. You're interviewing really amazing people yeah. and you have both sides of the spectrum. You focused on pastry. You focused on savory because that's, of course, your background. But that's also varied and intelligent. But what made you say that? Like, hey, like, I know how to do this because. Yeah, that's like. Yeah, well, I I didn't know how to do it. Uh, I, I probably still don't really know how to do it. I'm I'm putting out a magazine, but. You know, when it's a magazine made by a single person, there's no staff or anything like doing the other parts. Like yeah, there's a lot of missing pieces, I'm sure that I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I mean, I get an email for an editorial calendar. I have to Google what's an editorial calendar and like find some template online and send it to them. Like I that's that's kind of where I'm at with this. But um, you know, I love I was, that. But it's just sheer honesty. I mean, that's what's rad. Like you took a chance. Yeah, I mean, so I had left Qua and I had this idea for a magazine and it was kind of came from I'd loved art culinaire. Um, I think that kind of shows in this magazine. It's a lot of those kind of big photos, those kind of they kind of do a little more pulled back interviews. They're kind of just like a page of interviews and then big photos and some recipes. So I was like, that's a pretty standard magazine that I was familiar with. I don't even know if that's considered a magazine, if that's a book, um, but uh, I'd just been in so good when I was at Qua, which is a Spanish pastry magazine. And I just remember like they asked for photos of the dishes and, uh, I didn't have any. And so I rented a camera and I took my own food photos and I enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, these look great. Like that wasn't so hard not to slight food photographers, but, uh, you know, it took a tripod and the photos looking back at it now were not great, but they were good enough to get published in that magazine. And so, but they, they had asked for the photos, they asked for, uh, they just sent me interview questions that I filled out and sent back to them. I sent them the recipes and they just, they just put it in the magazine. So I was like, what work did they do? They have like eight people on their staff, which I, I know now is like, you know, to sell the magazine, to do all the other parts of it. But, uh, I was like that I could do that. Like I could just get, photos and recipes and interviews with chefs like and what better person to interview chefs than a chef like I can hang out in the kitchen with them I can meet people that you know I I would like to meet you know um and also just like originally it was like I'm just gonna show my friends like I'm just gonna feature my friends um and so that's kind of how it started and the first issue you know I have a hard time looking at it because it's very rough to me now because I, I feel like I've evolved a lot and like my skills at putting a magazine together. But um, yeah, just kind of started with that basic idea and it stayed with that where, you know, I just go and I hang out with chefs and uh, I'll have my camera with me and I don't do like a huge photo shoot setup. Like I'll post up near a window with my camera and like maybe a reflector and I'll get some nice food photos and um yeah and then now i'm at a point where the magazine's known enough that i can meet some people that are like my culinary heroes so that's that's an awesome part it's amazing i mean i've watched 
from now and, and then you know you just brought the issue number six today um there's you have some really great guests in your magazine yeah I, it's i try to balance like people i know versus people i don't know like i do a lot of you know if i know i'm going to a city i'll try to look at like even eaters like you know 38 whatever restaurants or whatever and just try to see like what restaurants in here do i not know what's interesting because i don't want to feature all the same people that are always featured and i feel like those are the people i know is because they're always featured so it's like how do i get people that maybe don't have a pr company maybe it's just like you know i'm direct messaging them through instagram like hey i have a magazine i'm a chef can i just come hang out take photos interview you and maybe you can throw me a recipe and i'm going to put it in the magazine um, so I try to keep it super informal. I try to, I tell them that they can kind of do whatever they want in hopes that they're going to do something wild. And usually they don't, it's more like, Somebody here's some, here's some food photos. We'll talk about, you know, a subject, um, and put a recipe in, but I've tried to keep it open to where, you know, uh, having someone talking about cycling I've had in the past, um, having people talk about hobbies, like. Ideally, if someone's like into poetry, I'd love to be able to publish that. Or like if someone's into painting, putting that in there, being like, here's their artwork and here's their food or, you know, here's one of their crafts and here's their cooking. And like what, try to find little links to it where then it doesn't have to become completely food photos. But um, I don't see. I think I think that's going to I'm going to get more of that as I get more comfortable interacting with people because I am kind of a shy guy to like get push them to do something more is kind of my next step is like I feel like this newest issue has the best interviews that I've ever had in the magazine in terms of like good content like throughout and um, I think in the past there's been a lot of times where like I'm too I, I like I feel weird to be like can you give me more? Like that was kind of a basic chef answer. Like I get it. You're, you're afraid to push the hot button a little yeah, bit. Yeah. You're like, I get it. You're inspired by the, the market and seasonality. Like, aren't we all like, come on, what's, what's the, that's the, that's the boilerplate safe. I think people are, they trust you. You're in the industry, yeah. right? And we are more apt to trust one of our own than we are outside. Yeah. But still people are always afraid. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. I'd like to say people are afraid they're going to piss in the wind, right? And they're going to get in trouble. And I think, you know, what I love about the magazine is is the honesty, and the visuals of like, it's it's not all staged. Yeah. And that that doesn't always happen nowadays. It's like, okay, wait, 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 just just no, no, turn your head a little bit more. Yep, yep. Do we get the clips for the back of their chef? Go put the clips. They look too fat. You know, let's do this. <laughs> let's see. You know, you've really you've captured each individual in their own element the conversation is real and i think it's really i i can't imagine how many times in your mind you've gone through that like am i doing this right is this the next i mean what has been this what has been the most difficult part of starting the magazine and kind of like give everybody an idea of like what really goes into it because it's not a joke i mean this is serious this is a fucking serious magazine yeah i mean you know when i when I print one of these, it's, you know, 20 to $25,000 that I'm spending, which I, I don't have that kind of money laying around. So you're talking per issue, it's 20 to $25,000. Yeah. 
Okay. And this is issue number six. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's no joke. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help that I'm using like this amazing printer that is very expensive. Um, but they've also given me just like, uh, you have El Diablito in here, <laughs> by the way, El Diablito is Alex Stupak. Yeah. We, we are, did you, did you ever hear the story? He and I are going to open a, a fry shack in the Cape Cod together. No, that sounds awesome. It's though. going to be called two cooks, one fryer. <laughs> we were, we've been talking about that for years. I love that guy. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly like one of those culinary heroes that like I looked up to coming up as a cook and I'm like, I get to hang out with this guy and like talk to him and ask him whatever I want, like, or, you know, being able to send off questions through email only, but through, uh, to Albert Adria and be like, am I really interviewing Albert Adria and featuring him in my magazine? That seems like a bit surreal. So, um, you know, the, the magazine, like for me, the hardest part's editing it. Um, the, the photos, like I feel very comfortable with. Uh, and I feel like each issue I'm getting better and better at that. Like I compare them a lot to like other, uh, magazines. So for me, it's like, I want the photos to be just as good as anyone else's. I want the writing to be just as good as anyone else's, but the, the actual like editing of the words is kind of the, the most difficult part for me. And this last magazine I had, someone's name spelt wrong, felt horrible about it. And like, She's amazing, by the way. Maylin is one of the sweetest, yeah. most wonderful people on the planet. I love her to death. And it, what I love when I look at the magazine, when I pick it up and when I feel it, it it's you're using beautiful material. It's not like, okay, I got to make a mag. I'm going to make the magazine, but like, okay, how can I like cut the corners, make it feel like this is something that you want to have for years and you want to go back to. Yeah, it's not a thin, glossy mag that you flip through and then throw away, um, which is also like one of the parts that I love about making the magazine is as a, as a chef, you're making these dishes and they're being eaten and then shit out. And so to have something that you make and then it's not being instantly destroyed and it can be sitting on a shelf is uh, something I really, you know, take to and enjoy. It's kind of, a lot of people ask me like, why didn't you just put this online why, why isn't this an online magazine there's something about having an, this object that like could possibly last decades on someone's bookshelf and uh i think that's that's kind of a cool part yeah that's hysterical i yeah. can't believe that yeah, so some more that, that had the whole the whole time so you know, I'm flipping through issue six and, you know, I've known Sam Mason for many, many years. I love him. He's like a brother. Um, and he's wearing the Jackrabbit hat from our restaurant in Portland, which is it really makes we did. We do multiple events together and he's one of the most fun, fun humans ever. That's awesome. <laughs> that just totally caught me off guard. <laughs> I had no idea he did that. That's so rad. Yeah, he's uh, this. So this last issue, I went to New York and. Um, I kind of neglected the East Coast for a while just because it's much cheaper for me to do San Francisco, L.A., Portland. Those kind of flights are so much easier and cheaper. Um, and so this was kind of like my big New York trip. And uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, I met all these chefs that, you know, I've only heard of. I've never interacted with. And uh, I don't know. It's. I also found like 
the more I'm doing this, talking to someone like Sam Mason and like hearing his background and being like, I didn't know he worked for Jean-Louis and like, and who worked with him at that time. And you're like, that's nuts. Like it makes me wish that there was some type of like interactive or like uh, published family tree of chefs because you start putting these pieces together, like talking to Laurent Gras and you're like, you, you were the opening chef for Alain Ducasse in France. Like, yeah, that's nuts. Like, I, and he's not very old. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's just because I don't know. I'm not as researched about like I, I, I haven't researched that many chefs and like really like nerded out on that a lot. But like I start you start putting these pieces together like you work for this person, and this person worked for this person. And you're like, I have this idea for like an app. I'm not going to make it because it's I'm not that type of person. But uh, if you could do like Chef DB website, whatever, but like interactive where like throughout the years, you could look at restaurants who worked at them and like who worked together and like chefs could photos in from like that time like those polaroids that chefs have from like the 80s where they're oh, that'd like be great like it'd be like a new type of social media but like that's not a it's not a viable business like no that, yeah you could that's what throwback thursdays are for <laughs> right? but but like i wish there was like some type of like the the modern history of chefs where it's just like you know the generation now who do they work for and maybe who did they work for? Because I feel like it's already getting lost. Like a lot of people and, don't, and a lot don't of even know who Jean Louis is. Yeah. Right. Let's think about that. You know, it's like, you know, the first I heard about him, the first time I ever heard his name was from Matt Tinder because he had posted a photo of a Vitamix in front of his naked body. Yes. And he was laughing. He was like, oh, it's like the old Vitamix ones, like with Jean Louis. And I was like, oh, and he showed me a picture and I was like, what are with all these like chefs naked? Like this is oh, such that a ad weird... campaign was huge. I I would I would redo that ad campaign for toothache for free if they would let me. I you, they probably <laughs> would because that was amazing. Like you think about that. David Burke, Jean Louis, Marcus Samuelson, uh Michelle Richard. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle Bernstein did it. Uh, there was a, I mean, it was a long list of talent and Jean-Louis was the first one and people freaked out (laughs) because that was when Vitamix first hit the market. Nobody really knew about it. I mean, it was an amazing ad campaign. Yeah. Of course, my wife was like, Hey, look at that Marcus Samuelson guy. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I'm like, yeah, thanks a lot. (laughs) But you think about those times and, and like, I'm amazed they said yes to doing that. Like in the beginning, like. So we have this idea. But it was only in food arts. You could only see the ad campaign in food arts magazine. (laughs) And as you remember, I mean, you know, food arts, to get that magazine, there would maybe be one one place in the city where you could get it at an actual newsstand. Otherwise, you had to sneak it out of the chef's office or you had to, like, get in the chef's office, get a subscription Mm. piece of paper out of it and sign up and, like, fill all the stuff out. Yeah, you're like... I got to get this. How am I going to get it to send it to me? You know, because they wouldn't send them to your home. They'd only send them to the restaurant. Yeah. And inevitably it would show up with your name on it. And the chef would be like, how are you getting the mail? And I was like, I want the magazine. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad that that's like the first time you learn about a hugely like influential chef is like 
oh, that's the dude that was naked in the, with the with the blender. But, but you, then you're like, then but then you it learn spawned the interest, yeah. you know. And I think that's the difference. And I think it's, I think that that's rad. You know, it's like that ad campaign. I remember when today. <laughs> Freakazoid of nature. It, it, it just is very exciting when you think that something as silly as that, but then it inspired the digging, and then the digging got you super excited because yeah. you found out more, you know? And it's like, yeah, Sam, you know, that's how Sam and I know each other. Yeah. You know, and it's just like he was part of the Napa opening team in Las Vegas. And then he went to New York with Wiley to do the new restaurant. So, and Francis and all those guys. So you think about, all those people and, and the, you know, like perfect example, Michelle Richard, right? Mm. Who around here? Omri. Yeah. That's, that's Papa Bear for Omri. So it's pretty interesting to think about that kind of yeah. stuff. That and history it, and that, that, that lore. And, yeah. and it's changed. I mean, it's dramatically changed the industry and how we work and how things are done. But those people were extremely influential in setting the standards, setting you know, the techniques, the moving forward and the growing of our industry. Yeah. I think the, those kind of background stories that I'll get from people from working back in the day at those places, like those are the parts that I really like latch on to and think of like, this is great. Like, I feel like those are the type of stories that if I, I feel like if I don't put them in there, like maybe they'll be lost at some point. Like these memories of like, this is what it was like working there. We worked together doing this, like, you know, it makes me want to put out more magazines and like try to document this stuff. Like, I feel like, like, I don't, I don't feel like it's my responsibility to, but I feel like it's, it's awesome. Like it's for me, I, I get, I get into it. I feel like in 10 years, if I'm still doing the magazine, I'm going to be all nerded out about like chefs and like knowing everyone's background at that point and like who worked where and like all these like great stories. Culinary historian. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're just chefs, but it's it's still like, to me, it's I find it very entertaining and well, well, I find at, it very important. I don't know. Look at sports. People say the same thing about sports. They want to know about these stats, this game, this player, right? And yeah. it's the same thing about cooking, I feel, in that there are techniques that have come from certain restaurants and certain chefs and certain times and certain eras. There's a lot to be said for that. It's knowing it. you can't run a marathon right? If you don't train. Yeah. And how do you understand the training is by looking at who is training you and who trained the one before you. And I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. You know, it's like practice, execution. And I think that's what this is telling people. I mean, for, okay, we're going to get, we're going to get, what do you feel has been your best interview and the one you are most excited about? Right. And what do you feel has been your biggest flop? Um, and those are two totally different ends of the spectrum. Wait, what was the second one? What's been your biggest flop interview? Oh, I don't know if I want to say that one. But that's okay because and it's not <laughs> it's not a, it's not a reflection on the individual that you're interviewing. It's the one that you feel that you didn't do justice enough to. Is what I mean when I say that. Okay. Um, I think I think one of my best ones I think we've had was uh, my interview with uh, Pavel in uh austin texas at uh emeron rye the pastry chef there pebble okay. bristol joseph mm -hmm. and uh he wanted to talk about work-life balance and i feel like he was someone i didn't know at all and 
uh, I don't know, we sat down and he started talking and he was like so thoughtful and gave me so much like heart and like good content. And like, it felt like he was like really trying to like put out just like something good out into the media that like, I felt really good about that interview. I feel like it has like all these really great points about like taking care of yourself, not only just like resting, but like taking care of your health and like all these things that I feel like we're kind of told now as chefs nowadays, but like we should be really hammered down on. And uh, so I think, I think his was, I think I liked his so much because I was surprised by it because I didn't know who he was before I met up with him. Um, I, th I think maybe on like the, the other end, uh, you know, the interview with Albert Adria, like, although it was amazing to interview him, I think he does so many interviews that I got a lot of kind of the, the basic responses back where like, I wish he, I feel like if I was there, maybe I could have got him to open up a little more, but because it's communicating through email, I think those are always kind of the hardest ones is when you communicate through email and they, they send you type back written out answers because then they've had time to think about it and they edit themselves and they like take stuff out. You were struggling with that kombucha. He's loud, just everybody <laughs> so everybody understands I'm trying to open a kombucha here. It's like, <laughs> it's like Pompeii here erupting on me. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> I'm trying not to cover myself for the table. Go move on <laughs> next. By the way, this is unedited and I warned him. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. um, who else was great? Um, you know, in this last one, talking to uh, Sam Mason is amazing because he's super fun um, and super playful and like outgoing and like the type of dude you could hang out with all day. And he's like, did he take you to Lady J's? He didn't know. We, we were hanging out in his ice cream factory um, on like a little in their changing room drinking White Claws. Oh. Uh, white claw oh yeah does he make white claw ice cream i uh he said he made a pour over with it once because <laughs> the, the whole interview is kind of fun because it's like we're drinking these and he like keeps referencing white claw so it's like throughout the interview it's like an ad for white claw did you get a sponsorship for the mag issue with that? i wish i any sponsorship if there's any sponsors out there but um his was great uh i think maybe i leaned towards those pastry chef interviews just because I am able to connect a little bit more with them. And uh, it's like someone like Lincoln Carson, who I think is just like, and he's not only amazing pastry chef, but he's had such an amazing career and he's now opening his own restaurant. You're like, yeah, I don't know how he has the energy and like all that to be doing it. Like it's crazy. And so, and I, that's another guy that like, I didn't know his background and you're like, you worked at Laverna Den back in the day. Like it's those type of things are like what blows my mind a lot of times. He's so talented. And I, and I, it's, it's, it's amazing to see his trajectory, you know, corporate pastry chef with Michael Mino working at Laverna Den. Now he's running Bon Temps, which is a beautiful French restaurant and he's doing savory. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful what he does. So incredible. And I think, you know, like you said, I can I can totally see what you're saying with 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 Albert. I can't imagine one the language barrier, right? Yeah, and his interview 
they sent me the the questions back in Spanish. And so I I don't speak Spanish. I definitely don't read Spanish. And so uh, I had someone translate it, but I was like trying to get it translated. And I was like, I don't want to rewrite it. So like it's going to sound weird because I'm gonna, just going to translate it word for word, which is not how translating works. But so it reads kind of weird because like this, the sentence structures are a little strange. But I wanted to like for someone like that, I so I printed it in Spanish and English side by side. But I was like, I I wanted to not reword someone like that, especially like I don't want to take your sentence and reformat it into what I think you're saying. Like, I'm just going to put it out there. It might sound weird, but at least they can kind of get the gist. And I don't know, that was just a kind of a a difficult interview to put together. Can't uh, imagine. Yeah, I mean, and then I'm I'm showing it to people that do speak Spanish. Me like, do these translations look like they match? Like, I don't. <laughs> you can't use yeah. Google Translate for that either, because no, I'm sure no, no. it didn't work well. No, I had like a friend of a friend like translate it for me, and you're like, and it's like Spain. You need a Spaniard. You don't yeah. need somebody who speaks, you know, a different version of Spanish, because then it's super confusing, and you're just like, what is going on here? Yeah, that's crazy. But. So who do you who who are you wanting to interview next? Like, is there somebody that's like your, you know, your dream interview? Is there somebody I'm sure you get people reaching out. You're like, hey, me, 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 me. Uh, most of the time when I get someone raising their hand for it, it's the per people that I don't really care to have in the magazine. <laughs> I love that you're honest with that, too. <laughs> I five to that one. <laughs> it's. You know, it's 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 actually mostly it's either people that are very uh, like way too like a cook or a sous chef that are like, hey, I have a story idea. And you're like, nah, like, you know, I'm trying to feature chefs and, you know, I'm not trying to get your take on vegan cuisine, some random somebody somewhere, you know, but um I get a lot of PR emails. I'm those sure. are those are the ones usually I have to kind of sort through because sometimes they'll have like they'll be like, "Would you like to interview this person and this person?" You're like, "Well, one of those people, yes, but the other person, no." <laughs> but <laughs> I'll and, take this one. This one's a good one. That but, one, no. But but it's hard to like, you know, when I only have like maybe ten to fourteen spots in the magazine for chefs because I like to give everyone like a good chunk of space in the magazine, like it's hard to pick the chefs and like, I try to be conscious of like, all right, I got big name people and I have people that maybe are lesser known and I have male and female and people doing different types of cuisine, not just all, you know, I don't know if it's just being in San Francisco and like kind of how it is right now, but like I've, I'm constantly worried that like, I'm going to feature too many white male fine dining chefs and I'm going to get like the wrath of the internet on me. And uh, it's, it's hard because so many of the chefs that are the big name chefs are that. And Correct. so when you're trying to get these interviews with chefs, like, you know, if I could do all unknowns, I'd be great, but then I wouldn't sell any magazines. So I got to put some people in there that are like the people that are going to sell the magazine. Like, yeah, you want to have, 
a couple hidden gems and then, you know, a couple, oh, I've never been able to get, see something cool. Like it's been a while since anybody's seen a really great Laurent Gras interview. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Perfect yeah. example of somebody that hasn't been doing lots of press and media. That's a draw to the magazine. But then you have other people that somebody maybe not know, like Sam hasn't been doing a lot of stuff lately. So everybody's stoked about that. What's Lincoln doing? I mean, I totally get it. It yeah. makes sense. But it, I can't like, so you don't have I, one thing that's really important for everybody to understand. I'm flipping through. There's no little square pieces of paper falling out that says, please subscribe. And I haven't seen one ad in here. So this there's, is sell. There's, there's one. Where? Very, very front. Okay, but, wait a second. Wait a second. Okay, Valrona. Okay. Yeah, and they've been, they've been uh, so one ads in the magazine since from the beginning. They've okay. Been, uh, so I'm just gonna lay this down here. We've got a high gloss, high quality paper magazine here. You have a hundred and to be hundred and twenty eight. pages, and you have two pages, which is basically the inside cover and the first page for a educational professional course seminar on how to become better with chocolate and where you can take those courses around the U.S. and different, you know, with different chefs and different times of the year. So not only are you talking, this is education, but they're also supporting the growth of the industry. So it's not like, you know, I'm not seeing a car ad in here so yeah. this is coming out of you. This is I mean, your I mean, I would love a car ad in there if they would, if I could get everybody to... hear that car people. <laughs> I hear you. I know you're listening. I mean, you know, I always wanted to be, even if I had advertisers like busting down the door, wanting to be in it, which I have, there's no reason they would want to be in a small indie publication really. Cause it is so very focused at chefs and cooks. Um, JB Prince, I know you're. I know you're. <laughs> I know you're listening to this right now, and I know you carry the magazine. So maybe you should think about throwing my man Muncie here a bone and uh, <laughs> putting a back page piece in here, because you know, oh my God, there's a, a blank, black back page that would be perfect for JB Prince and all those <laughs> culinarians that are purchasing this magazine. You know, it's. I, I, I kind of I've I've structured the business in the opposite way than a magazine does it. A magazine's paid for by advertising and that's how they they make it. I I rely on sales. So like a magazine that prints, you know, where it's all ads, they're printing hundreds of thousands of magazines and they're doing that because now the advertiser is going to give them more money because they look at the print amount. They're like, "Wow, you're doing 200,000 magazines? Like I'm going to it's going to go in front of this many people." When I'm like, I print three to four thousand magazines. Like it's not as uh, appealing, so I actually have to work it the other way. So I rely completely on magazine sales, not on advertising money. And I mean, I, it's not paying anyone. There isn't a staff. It's me. So, and I'm not paying myself. So, <laughs> there's there's really no cost except for covering my printing and covering the, you know, all those random travel business fees. Yeah, business travel. Fees. You know. Maybe every once in a while I'll splurge and I'll buy a, like a camera lens like once a year or something. That's like nice. And then I have something to play around with and get excited about. But um, yeah, it's kind of the opposite business structure of a magazine. And I mean, I saw you had an interview with Chris Ying. Like I, I talked to him when I was first starting it. I sent him like a PDF of the magazine and I was like, hey, man, just like check it out. If you want to give me some feedback, it'd be cool. And the first one, the first magazine, I was like, 
I had no idea what it was to be making a magazine. So I was like, the first intro is like, there's no editors, no bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, maybe don't say there's no editors. And I left it in. I was like, nah, there's no editors. I'm like, wait, I'm the editor. Like, <laughs> I'm sure changed yourself. I'm putting it together. Like, I guess that's what that job kind of is. I don't know. I still don't really know the job positions that people have in magazines. Like, but whatever the job positions are out there, I guess I'm the one doing it. So this is an all-in-one encompassing business. So how did you learn to lay it out? And, and is this something that you just kind of played with as you went? I mean, because I think a lot of people out there, they want to they wanna learn from our experiences in life. And what you've, what you've done is, I mean, this is a monster. Yeah. And you're, you're, you know, you're the one man band here. And I think a lot of people, like, you look at this, and to be honest, it, it really looks like you've got a staff of 20. Yeah, it's... Uh you know, the, the laying out part was definitely a big learning curve, which I think the, the, the design of issue one is very looking back at it. It's hard for me to look at because it's like all over the place. There's different fonts all over the place. It's like every I was trying to design each section completely different. And like, I don't have the knowledge or know how of a good graphic designer to be doing that. And so uh, I relied a lot on uh, my brother who works in advertising and has like a lot of experience with that kind of stuff to help me with, uh, you know, how to lay out something, how to make some set templates of like, all right, I've done this kind of layout of like, you know, maybe three images and text and like I can reuse that. Like I don't need to keep reinventing myself every single page. So uh, I'm just figuring out like, what font size and what spacing between the letters and all that. Like your he storyboard, helped me, he helped me with all that kind of like readability and that kind of stuff. And then a lot of it comes down to looking at other magazines and just copying them and, uh, watching YouTube videos on how to do things. I don't know how to do. Uh, I watched a lot of how to use InDesign YouTube videos, uh, which, you know, if you want to learn something, you can really learn anything on the internet. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. It's my. We, I was talking about that the other day. It's like I grew up with Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. Now we have Encyclopedia Google and Encyclopedia YouTube. You know. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of Photoshop on a lot of the images. I'll like get rid of backgrounds and stuff because I am such a like for my food photography. I'm not really in it to make the picture the final image. Like I'll get what I need and then I'll fix it on the computer because I feel like I'm better at that than like trying to figure out a whole setup to have like this huge white background on something. I'll just get a little white background behind it and then like expand it. That's amazing. It's a lot of that kind of like cheating away around things. So like how do I make the photographs look as good as a really good photographer and just fake it? to make it look right or you know the cover being the lobster grabbing the balloon that's a picture in my apartment of a lobster hanging by strings and then a picture of a balloon on the ground with my fingers pressing into it and then just photoshopping the two images together it doesn't look like that at all yeah well spend spend a day on the computer one day so (laughs) the cover took you one day to get the picture the way you wanted on this issue yeah i mean and there's a you know, I had an issue where it was like a person with all these plants coming out of their yeah. head. And that, you know, 
that was setting up a tripod and me taking a picture of myself by like activating the camera with my phone and then taking a picture of a mannequin and then spending like three days photoshopping it to look as real as I could, which so much of that stuff to me, like the photography, the layout, the photoshopping, it's the same as cooking where if you want to do it great, all it is is attention to detail. Like to cut out something perfectly versus like roughly, like is what makes the difference between something looking professional and real and looking like hack and bad. And like, you know, so going in and being like, you know, I'll even do it on, on food photos, even if people don't ask me to. If there's a big ass blemish on a mint leaf, I'll fix it. Or if there's a fingerprint, I'll fix it. Like, because I want them, their food to be presented as well and as beautifully as I can. So they, unless they really want to have the, the flaws on there, the little sauce drip on the, on the tablecloth next to the plate, like I'm going to get rid of it, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of that, a lot of doing anything well, uh, especially in artistic related things, uh, or I guess anything is just attention to detail. And I've kind of just always gone at everything with that is like, if I put the time into doing it right and taking the time to really focus, like that lobster, I had to zoom in like so close to that damn lobster claw to like cut around it and do all that stuff. Like there might be easier ways to do it. I just don't know, but yeah, it, takes a lot of time but at the end it's like you have an image that looks somewhat real looks like i got a lobster to grab a balloon which is pretty in, uh, an insane thought are you having fun yeah that's the number one thing i think that you I know most of the time i'm having fun i mean we all have our days when it's not fun but in the bigger picture of things are you still is it everything you wanted it to be and are you still having fun and are you looking forward to doing the next one I am. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the next one. Um, it's, it'd be great if it made me some money, but, uh, you know, even if it never does and it's just a passion project, as long as it can break even, like it's, it's an awesome, awesome creative outlet outlet. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's a cool thing to like, be known for besides just cooking being like and he has a magazine like it adds almost like a an added i don't know background to me or i don't know like a added a authority to me that like you know i don't i don't want to be an authoritative magazine maker or anything but you know being someone that's doing something cool for the industry you're doing something very special and very unique and i think that's what's that's what's great about it because you come at it with a different set of eyes. And I think that's, what's really important about it. And I think you're looking at the business from within the business and showcasing people that you feel have a lot to offer the whole, not just other industry folks, but the public. Yeah. And, and it's a really fresh look at food, the industry, um, our peers. And, and I think it's a really special thing. You know, Thanks. and that's why I was really excited to sit down and talk with you. I mean, there's there's a lot more to Nick Muncie than just making incredible pastries and toothache too. I mean, we can go on for hours. Yeah, gotta get you in the magazine. I'd love to. If you if you ever have me, I'd do it. You know, I think we'd have a lot of fun. Take a picture of you with a blender in front of you. Oh my god, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Either that would go over really well or really poorly. Could you imagine? We'll do the comparison. You know, what or, we'll do is we'll, or we'll find get Tinder some animal part or something. We'll get Tinder down here to do it. He and I to do. <laughs> Two cooks, one blender. <laughs> <laughs> that would be oh. horrifying. 
Yeah, I don't know if I wanted that on my camera or on my computer. I don't. I totally wouldn't want Tinder, <laughs> Tinder half naked on my computer. <laughs> even though, granted, he does send me things that scare me. Um, all right, so I do play a quick fire game that I want to do with you real quick here. Um, okay. I do it with everybody. It's just straight up. Um, chocolate, fruit. Fruit. Uh, yeah, not a chocolate person. Really? Yeah. Which, and I don't like chocolate, making chocolate desserts. I feel like it's too easy. Uh, but if Elrond is listening, I love chocolate. <laughs> um. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Hamburger, hot dog? Uh, I'd say hamburger. Ketchup or mustard? Mustard. Dijon or Yellow Deli? Yellow Deli. Oh, that was just <laughs> right through the ribs. <laughs> Beef or pork? Pork. Nigiri or sashimi? Nigiri. Sea urchin caviar? I would. I feel like I'd usually say sea urchin, but I feel like I've been eating a bit more caviar lately, and I've been enjoying it. And I've also had like a couple pieces of sea urchin lately that haven't been that great. And so I might go caviar. Seasons change a little bit too. <laughs> coffee or tea? Definitely coffee. Definitely coffee. Yeah. I, uh, there's a lot of things like I feel like I haven't experienced. Well, I've listened to some of your podcasts where you're like ham from here or here. I'm like, I, I was dreading that you wouldn't ask me something like that because I feel like I haven't had a really great, I've, I've had like Hamon, but like, I feel like I haven't had like the most pristine of that. I haven't had like a really great American ham. There's all these like things that, you know, hamburger and hot dog. You're like, I've had a lot more great hamburgers than I have hot dogs. Maybe I just haven't had the right hot dog. So it's, it's hard when like, you're like it's just fun, you know, yeah, it, that's the thing. It's just because everybody has preferences and it's, and I think that's my point that I'm trying to make that like we go out to eat, right? And our, and, and our business, we feed people, we make people smile for a living, right? That's yeah. our whole job. We don't pull teeth. We don't put numbers in sequential orders. We're not doing accounting. We're not doing their taxes. We're not writing tickets. We're there to make people smile. And there are so many different things that make different people smile for different reasons. Yeah. Some people are looking for the perfect hamburger. Some people love that perfect snap on a really old school style hot dog. Or somebody loves chocolate more than they love fruit. You know, it's all based off, for some people it's about texture, right? Yeah. For some people it's about craveability or uh, maybe it's a, it's a taste memory or a moment in time. And yeah. I think that's, what, that's why I ask these questions because everybody has a totally different answer. Yeah. You know, it's like red wine or white wine. Uh, definitely white wine. Me too, you yeah. know? Um, do you like champagne or do you like rosé? I mean, they, they're not mutually exclusive, but... Exactly. <laughs> See, that's the point that I'm trying to make because there's, like, somebody yeah. may have a favorite. It's like, you know, I really had this really cool one, but I love rosé at this time. You yeah. know, beer or tequila. Brown spirits, white spirits. Everybody has their thing. Yeah. Flavors, textures, and that's what makes it so much fun. That's yeah. what makes our business You're cool. You're recording it. These are my answers now. 
But at the moment, you <laughs> know what? They could change yeah. tomorrow. Do you not like kombucha? Do you like kombucha? You know, I this this kombucha is great. Granted, it erupted like Mont Pompey here. And, <laughs> you know, we're all covered in kombucha here at this table. But I, I think that's what makes this our industry really fun. Yeah. And being able to sit down and share your experiences with the world, it, to me, is what... It, I don't have a skill set to put something this beautiful together, but I can sit down with two clown nose red microphones and have a great conversation with somebody because I have the gift of gab and let you tell your story to the world and, and share your knowledge and your information. I mean, I hope that after this you could do that. No, I could. All don't you have, have to the, do is watch some videos. It's I don't doable. Have the bandwidth. I don't have the you already bandwidth. got the interviewing part down. So it's the interview like, part's the easy part, but I think, I think people really enjoy hearing a conversation yeah. for me. And that's why I enjoy doing it. And my goal is like, I'm, you know, I have an interview coming up with a couple different folks that are very different. And, and, and as you know, you've seen, it's a very scattered type of thing. It's not just all chefs. It's, you know, people in skateboarding and cycling and music. But everybody that I sit down and interview, it's all about really spreading their information and their past and their history. Because we've all gone through trials and tribulations to get where we are today. And none of our paths have been easy. Yeah. And... Hopefully somebody listens to this, learns from it and says, hey, you know what? That's pretty amazing what he did with that magazine. I want to subscribe to the magazine. I want to see what he's doing. And, you know, I'm going to get into the publishing industry and I want to make it better. Yeah. And that's the goal, whether it be music or food, you know, your experience is going to affect somebody else. And that's what this is all here for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's anyone out there wanting to make a magazine, the email is me. <laughs> that's all it is. And I'll tell you. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. It's, like everybody out there, you guys should definitely be checking this out. You know, you can go to the website. You can subscribe through there right now is issue six. When and and how often are you publishing? Uh, so I'm doing it twice a year, twice a year. Yeah. I, and I'm struggling at that, but we're getting them done or so I'm getting them done. You guys, you can go on the website. You can buy a bunch, which meaning you can buy all six issues as a cluster pack. You can subscribe. Please do. Uh, they are going to be things you keep forever i'm looking at beautiful beautiful breads in here which i know nick made. those are all your breads aren't they beautiful yeah. so i think there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to share and uh guys make sure you check it out nick i'm gonna let you go to work i know you probably have thank you thank you for it's being here and uh i look forward to hanging out yeah cheers